It's with gratitude that I say thank you for your continued support of the Mindful Rebel podcast. As the podcast approaches 100 episodes and the podcast continues to grow and the listenership continues to grow, I want to connect you with the resources that can help you along your journey. Please check out these curated sponsors that will help you in your own personal and professional development. My name is Richard Bailey, and I am the CEO and co-founder of GroupFit, which is a health and fitness platform for the Black community. Living and maintaining a healthy lifestyle is one of the best ways to practice mindfulness. Now, it's no secret that exercising has its benefits for your brain and thought process, but since exercising requires you to be mindful throughout your entire workout routine, this can easily spill over to your everyday life. So to get started with practicing your mindfulness in a way that will help you get and stay fit, Download the only Black Fitness app and join the GroupFit community today. Now, for more information, you can head over to www.groupfit.co. That's spelled G-R-P-F-I-T. Thank you. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel podcast, where mindfulness and leadership intersect. My name is Sean Moore, and I'm the host and creator of the platform, The Mindful Rebel, as well as an educator, scholar, and creative. In this week's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Desiree Booker. Desiree, a proud West Philly native, discovered her ability to inspire people to be the best version of themselves at a very early age. She developed her social identity and passion for diversity and inclusion as a student at Spelman College, where she graduated cum laude with a bachelor's degree in psychology. Desiree's professional experience includes corporate communications, campus recruiting, and diversity and inclusion at BET Networks, NBC Universal, MSNBC, Nickelodeon, and Turner. As the founder of Color Vision Lab, Desiree focuses on transforming and motivating black professionals into an irresistible hire and helps them develop their skills to thrive in corporate America. She is now expanding her clientele to companies by helping them develop and retain top diverse millennial and Gen Z talent through workshops, online courses, and speaking engagements. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel podcast. I am excited to talk to Desiree Booker today. Um, Desiree, um, we're up early. We're having a good conversation. We're going to have an awesome conversation. I'm excited. Um, Yeah, let's get started. Yes. Thank you for having me, Sean. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. And again, I always like to thank my guests and, and, you know, and the the moment of gratitude of, of really saying thank you for taking time out to to do this and um you know being responsive um it really means a lot so thank you of course well the best place to start where i start all the podcasts is like let's get a foundation for who you are right um talk to me about you know your journey and what's gotten you or how you've gotten to where you are now you know as a career strategist and a diversity practitioner What, what was your journey like to kind of get you to you know where you are today yeah, absolutely. Um, so in full transparency, you know, I'm, I'm originally from West Philadelphia. Um, uh, earlier in my childhood, um, I started out uh, in kind of my journey uh, to pulling out the best in people and really being um, a, a, a sphere of influence in terms of being a, just like an inspirational speaker. But um, I started as like a conscious rapper when I was younger. And uh, I was doing a lot of shows in Philadelphia, and I was just doing a lot of writing about the things I saw in my community. Um, Philly is a, a very poverty-stricken, uh, kind of violence-stricken, um, you know, community and a uh, city. And uh, I had a lot of friends who were involved in, and I lost to to gun violence. And um, there were a lot of times during my childhood where 
I felt like I was out of place, not only in my community, but even in my own family. Um, I grew up uh, in a very strong household with my mother. She's a single mother, but uh, there's a very strong history of substance abuse in my family. Um, and my mother is actually a recovered addict. And um, while I was not, uh, you know, present in her addiction, um, I kind of saw a lot of the aftermaths of what that looked like um, in terms of how addiction can affect your life in a, on a more permanent basis. Um, so in short, you know, I kind of had to grow up pretty quick. And, uh, at, you know, in doing my music, I realized that that was my way to connect with people. Um, that was my, my way to kind of meet people where they are and get a message across. So um, I did that for a little while. And then, you know, I kind of grew out of it when I got to college. Um, I ended up uh, going to Spelman College in 2011. And I was really excited to leave Philly and kind of explore what was beyond um, the city borders and moved down to Atlanta. Uh, at Spelman, I ma majored in psychology uh, and uh, I, I ended up uh, pledging Delta Sigma Theta and just had a hey. strong sense of community there. Um, it was the one place where I felt like I belonged and it felt like I finally found my social identity. And every day at Spelman was just a celebration of who I am naturally as a Black woman and all my natural gifts and talents. And um, I'm thankful every day for my experience at my alma mater. Um, so, you know, while I was there, I decided to try to explore, uh, you know, um, careers in the media industry. I thought, you know, I don't really want to be an artist anymore. Maybe I can do something along the lines of PR. I'm really good at promoting myself. Maybe I can promote another brand. So I pursued internships along that track. And um, just, just to let you guys know, I think a lot of people look at my LinkedIn and my background and they assume that I was just one of these really high achieving uh, you know, people, you know, in college, I had internships since freshman year, and that wasn't me. It, it took me a while to kind of build up my experience to start landing the really big opportunities that I was able to uh, accrue. And in my senior year, uh, I was able to land a media fellowship with the International Radio and Television Society, um, and it was expense paid. So that was my ticket to New York. So I, I graduated in 2015. I moved to New York City. And um, I worked in for communications uh, for the summer. I had no idea I was going to land a job after college. I kind of just moved up there on a whim. And in the process, I was also interviewing with NBC Universal for the East Coast Page Program, which is um, the premier early career rotational program in my industry. Uh, about 24,000 people apply on an annual basis. And at the time, only 1% to 2, 1 to 2% was getting in. I think I, I was invited to a panel interview while I was doing my internship and I ended up getting an offer. So, you know, that bought me another year in New York. And I think it was when I was a page, that's when I, I it kind of hit me because at BET, it was an extension of my community in the AUC. So the Atlanta University Center, Spelman, Morehouse and Clark. Um, but when I went to NBC, I was one of the, I was basically the only black woman in my cohort. So moving out of that safe haven where I just felt so comfortable and, um, and going into corporate America where it, not, it was not only competitive to get in to, my, to the program, but to stay in, um, I just felt, again, out of place. I started to feel those same emotions that I felt when I lived back in Philadelphia. And I started to realize, you know, that 
there was a strategy for how I networked and how I built relationships and how I built my personal brand as a black woman in corporate. So uh, that's kind of where my niche for, you know, being interested in diversity and inclusion came into play. Um, I did my best in the program. I worked very long hours um, and soaked up all the knowledge that I could. And um, once my contract ended, that job and um, landed me into a corporate communications position at MSNBC, um, where uh, I worked uh, in crisis comms uh, during the 2016 presidential election cycle. So it was a very critical time to work in news communications. And that was another space where I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me. But I met, um, you know, my former boss and now mentor, um, Errol Cockfield, who's a, a phenomenal uh, Black leader in the PR community, the SVP of communications there who kind of nurtured my, my career while I was there, which I was very thankful for. Um, fast forward, I moved out of news comms, went to Nickelodeon and worked comms there a little bit. Um, and it just didn't work out for me. Um, and that's when I decided to kind of take a step back and think about, okay, I'm working in communications, I'm in New York City, am I really happy? Um, is my mental okay? And it wasn't, I was very unhappy. Um, I didn't feel like I was walking in my passion or my purpose. I didn't feel like I was, you know, really kind of affecting the bottom line of my own mission. Um, and I decided to completely refocus. And I started to target campus recruiting jobs because I had a rotation as a page in campus recruiting. And that's where I was the most happy. I got an opportunity to work with DNI programs to help get diverse students into NBC Universal, um, into these really competitive internships and really give them an opportunity to thrive in an industry that I loved and create and increase diversity in me. So I started to target those positions and lo and behold, I landed my current role um, at Turner where I am a campus recruiter and diversity strategist um, and I lead hiring across our corporate technology production divisions for brands like Cartoon Network, CNN, Adult Swim, all these really highly recognizable brands. And, and while I was there, I became very good at my job very quickly because um, I developed relationships with my interns and my candidates, and um, I always pushed the diversity agenda. And um, about six months into my role, um, I spearheaded this initiative called the Turner Real Talk series. And what it was designed to do was to increase the employability of diverse student groups. And the first group of students that I decided to engage belonged to the AUC, Spelman, Morehouse, and Clark. And I was able to engage um, a lot of business partners um, and leaders at the company um, in order to help strengthen a diversity pipeline leading into Turner. So in doing all these great things in my day job, I started you know, to get my wheels spinning. And I'm like, you know what? Is this is something that I could actually do as a business. Like this is something that I'm good at. Um, and this is where I create impact. So about seven months ago, uh, I started my own um, consultancy called the Color Vision Lab. And it's kind of two parts. Um, on one end, I focus on helping organizations um, attract, develop, and retain top diverse talent, um, specifically millennials and Gen Zers. Um, and that's kind of a new endeavor that I'm taking on in 2019. But over the course of 2018, I've been working um, with black, motivated black professionals to help transform them into an irresistible 
irresistible hire um, by helping them align passion with purpose um, and really giving them the skills that they need to not just survive in corporate, but learn how to thrive in corporate as a person of color. And that is manifested in my Career Reset course, which is an online group coaching program. So um, I, I know that was a bit of a winded answer, but that's the full life cycle of kind of how I got to where I am right now. No, that's great. That's great because you, um, as you were talking, I was, I was like putting a lot of bookmarks and writing notes. I'm like, oh, I want to touch back and let's pull back into this. So that was great. What I will say, so there, are, I'm trying to figure out where to, where to go, where to go, where to go. Cause it's a lot, it's a lot of dope places to go. Okay. So when I went and listening to what you were saying and thinking about, you know, you navigating as a black woman in corporate and, and developing, and then also like thinking about, you know, very strategically about the work that you do, um, helping people reset their careers. I know that, you know, navigating in these spaces that look different. I know that um, imposter syndrome can be something that affects people and how they move and how they navigate. Um, not really feeling like they're supposed to be in these spaces and kind of internalizing some of that fear of being, you know, um, a fraud or not being, you know, right enough for the environment that they're in. Is that something that you experience as you navigated in some of these environments? And is that something maybe that you tackle with your, your clients as you work with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. And the, the answer is yes, is that I did experience that. And it was such an unfamiliar place for me because I've always been a very confident person and rude in my, in my being abilities so when I started to feel you know emotions insecurity and kind of just like just being that awkward person who just didn't belong in the room and also you know I'm very you know I'm very unapologetic about not just my blackness but my personality I have a very big personality I you know I'm, I'm a straight talker and I'm a natural born leader and for some reason I just started to feel crippled like I felt mentally emotionally and physically crippled in some spaces um, and I started to question like do I even belong here? Like, you know, am I good enough to make it through this program? I'm coming into a program with, you know, students and interns who have relationships or familial relationships with top executives at the company related to Jimmy Fallon and, and all these really prestigious talents that belong to the network. And here I am, I didn't know a soul, um, you know, working at NBC. I had no connections and I got there by way of luck. But it, you know, over time, um, it took me to find where I fit, like where I could add value. And once I figured out how to add value and what my, my competitive edge was, I used it to my advantage. Um, and that's when I started to get away from, okay, you know, I have this identity being the only black page in, you know, the program right now or in my cohort, how can I use that as a benefit to me and as a benefit to the, the organization? And that's when I started to shift my thinking from, uh, you know, shift my thinking to rather, um, learning how to use my ethnicity as an asset instead of a liability. Um, and instead of a, you know, some people kind of use it as a crutch or however it manifests itself, I wanted to, I wanted it to be an asset. And that's what it started to turn into. And those are kind of the, the, the things that I, I try to pull out of my students because many of them come to me with 
uh, very low self-esteem, very low career confidence, and they deal deal with things like imposter syndrome. I'm dealing with attorneys. I'm dealing with you know um, uh, marketing professionals and people who come come from uh, the investment banking industry, really prestigious industries where they deal with the same things that I I dealt with. So I think that once you focus on um, you know, one, you know, developing what your competitive edge is um, and figuring out how to transform that into an asset, into something that can help elevate you and help elevate whatever project you're a part of. Um, that's kind of when your confidence starts to boost, because that's what happened to me, not just at NBC, but when I had the opportunity to spearhead Turner Real Talk, that's where I really shined. And I started to go from being the campus recruiter to I started to be a thought leader at Turner and someone that people sought out when it comes to diversity inclusion initiatives and ideas and how to get them off the ground. Mm. And so I want to dive deeper into um, this, this, this whole idea of resetting your career, because one, um, I want to want to hear more about your course, but two, um, I think it's very appropriate conversation to have at the top of the year. I know that, you know, a lot of people will use the, the new year energy to kind of do something new and, and have a fresh start and a fresh take for the year. And now, and of course, this is a rhetorical, rhetorical in a way, because I know the answer, but I would love to hear you elaborate a little bit more is that, is it okay to hit the re reset button on your career? And maybe what perspective do you take with your clients on broaching that conversation about you know, how to look at or reframe, because one thing I'll say, and it's something that I'm, I'm dealing with and working with too, is that, you know, for people that take their work serious, sometimes work can be a part of our identity. And so to shift your career means to fundamentally have to um, look at a part of who you are and maybe leave behind a part of who you are um, for something different. And so how do you, you know, what are your perspectives on resetting your career and maybe grappling with clients about, you know, what that really looks like? Mm -hmm. A really good question. So, you know, before I work with my clients or before I enroll anyone into my course, we do have um, an interview session where I ask a series of questions to determine, you know, what are your career pains? You know, where, how do you want to benefit what can I do to help you benefit from this content and just determine if it makes sense for us to work together. So, you know, your, the answer to your first question is absolutely a career reset possible and sometimes very much so needed for several reasons. Um, but I look for key things in, in clients or potential clients. So, you know, I want to know, you know, what, what are, what are your priorities and goals in your career? Like, what are you not getting in your current position uh, or, you know, that you want to get in, in the next position that's going to help you fulfill different areas of your life? So usually, you know, the, the, they come to me with the pain points of I'm, I'm underpaid. You know, I, I've hit a ceiling in terms of my personal and professional growth. I'm bored. You know, I feel like this is not my purpose. I don't create impact, you know, and a lot of that stuff just results in, you know, them being miserable and just really hating them, their job and 
falling into the 70, upwards of 75, 76% of Americans who get the Sunday night blues ahead of a Monday work week. So, you know, I try to dig deep into what are the pain points. Um, and, and if the pain points are not strong enough, whereas if they've reached a level of subconscious complacency, you know, they're just kind of floating along in their job, you know, they're, they're, they don't like their job, but they're not extremely, you know, um, desperate to get out of it. You know, I need the people who are desperate to get out of their roles because they're the people who are really going to commit to the process that is not only a professional transformation, but it's a personal transformation. And I go very deep into the mindset, you know, and I want to know, like, you know, how does this make you feel? Like, how does it make you feel waking up and going to this job? Like, you know, what is your why factor? That is a big thing for, for us too. Like, and not even just in your career, but in entrepreneurial endeavors, anything that's uh, out of, anything that's gonna take a certain amount of um, extra effort. You have to be very rooted in why you're doing something because if you don't have a, a solid why factor, um, it's going to be really hard for you to push through the difficult times or the challenging pieces of the journey. So, you know, in that transition, a lot of um, concern is around, uh, you know, well, I have skills and qualifications in one area. Is it going to be relevant to the area that I want to go into? Or, you know, I know that I don't like my current job, but I don't know how to identify what that next career is going to be for me and if I'm going to be happy in it. Um, and some ways that um, I try to help draw the lines is you know, there is a such thing as transferable experience and transferable skills. I teach them how to really read a job post to identify an employer's top three pain points and what pain points you will address within the first 90 days in that role and how to strategically write the, the bullets uh, within their resumes in the method of a car statement. So what is the challenge? What is the action? What is the result of that particular employment that you held? And let's figure out a way to make it directly relatable to that employer's pain points. That's how you start to beat the applicant tracking system. Let's start, uh, let's start focusing on creating a five-point interview agenda where you write down your top accomplishments that are directly related to the role. But, you know, before we can even get into all of that, like, you know, the mindset is important. I get a lot of people who come to me also who are so, um, you know, they're, they're lost in the financial aspect of it. And they're chasing the high salaries. They're chasing the prestige and the sexiness of a job. And I used to be that person. I used that, you know, I've had the sexy positions in the big companies and the major media markets. And I was unhappy in several of those roles. So I said, you know, I tell them, you have to make a choice. Are you going to commit to the journey and to the process that it's going to take to get to a job that will fulfill you? I mean, even if that means that you might have to take a, a, a pay cut to make the transition, but understand that once you move into that role and you start to perform well and you're walking in your purpose, you will make up whatever you lost because that's when the promotions come. That's when the bonuses come. That's when the recognition comes because you're actually walking in your purpose. So if they're not ready to do that, then nine times out of 10, they're not going to be a strong fit for the program. So, you know, um, Everyone in my cohort right now, all of them have reached that place where they are just tired. They want something different. They are willing to commit to the process um, and they are doing phenomenally well um, after only being two weeks in the program. So um, people who are looking to do a reset, um, you just got to want to do it. And, and that's, that's this in plain English, got to want to do it, got to have a defined why. Um, and you got to understand that 
there might be some level of sacrifice that you'll have to make to get to the end goal. Mm. Hmm. I'm digesting because I'm taking in what you're saying. I'm at that place too. Um, and I, I say this all the time. I feel like I encounter my podcast guests and we, we talk at the right times because I think it's kind of therapeutic for me too. But um, I'm, I'm taking that in because that's a, I'm hitting, I'm in that place. So I, I have been there and you know what? I love to talk to people who, where I can, you know, where I can really share my story because uh, you know, there are thousands of career coaches out there. There, I am not unique in that way. But one thing that I do have that is unique is just my delivery. You know, I'm not afraid to give you Des, the career coach, Des, the corporate professional, but I can also give you Des from West Philly and who I really am and what I've gone through. And, you know, uh, I think there's beauty in the imperfections and in the story that people pull pieces from. And then they start to see, wow, like it hasn't been a walk in the park for you. And even though, I'm having a tough time right now, you're proof that things will get better and you will find your way. So um, that's one of the things that really drives me in my work. Hmm. So you are the first guest that I'm doing this new segment with, which is this social media wisdom, right? That I love social media. Social media is great. You know, it gets a lot of flack. But mm -hmm. social media is great for a lot of things, right? It's great for making connections. It's great for networking. Um, but it's also great for motivation. We see a lot of posts on social media that are good motivators. And you're like, oh, I like this. This is great. This reposting this, you know, it feels good to share and identify with this particular perspective. And so this new social media wisdom little segment or question that I'm integrating into my inter interviews and conversations is just to, um, I, find a um, I find a social media post that I really, really like, and I want to share it as a question point um, for my guests. And so the one that I want to um, share with you, um, there was a post that I saw and I'll post it along with the podcast, but it says, repeat after me, I'm allowed to be both a work in progress and help others grow at the same time. I refuse to wait until I believe I'm perfect or someone else has deemed me worthy of impacting others. I am unapologetically accepting of a life of massive growth and improvement. Um, what are your thoughts on that? This whole idea of being a work in progress and, and being able to still um, pour into and help people at the same time. Yes, I love this. Um, I love this new segment that you have and I love uh, this post that you pulled because I think it's so relevant and I think so many um, you know, people, you know, specifically millennials and Gen Zers, where we are the, the generation of social media and all things digital. Um, this goes directly into a point that I just started to drive home with some of my clients and just my social media following. But um, to wait for the perfect conditions um, is literally to wait forever. Perfect does not exist. Perfect will never come. I have a lot of friends who have amazing ideas. They, they have uh, business ideas, ideas to start apps, you know, ideas for, you know, uh, partnerships, you know, things that are really incredible that they keep to themselves. And they're so afraid of other people's opinion, how they'll be perceived and whether people will support them or not. Um, and all these things that don't matter, that they end up letting it get them in a place where they let years and months pass by and they make no progress and they just keep doing what's a part of the societal norm, even though it's literally killing them inside because 
most of them are part of the 10%. You know, and by the 10%, I mean, you know, the creative minds, the brilliant minds, the thinkers that are, that are you know, extraordinary and just not normal thinkers. Um, and they, they try to suppress those gifts and make themselves just a part of the 90%, which are people who, you know, are just more comfortable with the traditional lifestyle. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I tell them, you have to kind of put yourself out there and start doing whatever it is that you want to do and learn from trial and error. Um, that's what I did. I literally woke up one day and I decided, you know what, Turner Real Talk was a success. I want to start a business. And I, I didn't even have my LLC. I didn't have anything. I just started posting on social media saying, hey, I do resumes. I do LinkedIn profile optimization. I do interview prep you know, hit me up if you need my services. And the clients came, you know, these are friends that I went to college with, people who really believed in me. And I didn't, at first I thought, you know, no one would, um, no one would look at me as a trustworthy, uh, you know, um, coach or someone who really has what it takes to bring them to a, a different level in their career. But I just put myself out there and it ended up working out. But again, going back to the point where, you know, we're all working on ourselves constantly. You know, the, the most successful people in this world are a work in progress. And, um, you know, I think that with every risk that you take, with every failure that you have, you learn something from it. And it really molds you into the person that you're ultimately looking to become. And when you have those experiences, you share, you, you're able to then pour those experiences and those lessons into other people. You know, I've like, I've been fired from a job before. And I, I, even though I'm a career coach, I tell my clients about that journey for me, you know, and about how it, it affected me and how it affected my mindset. You know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of things that I feel like um, are relevant to uplifting and pouring into my students. So um, I totally believe that, you know, you should be pulling as you climb and you should be using your, your unique lessons and your, your unique experiences in life to help other people who may be going through similar situations um, or even different ones. But, you know, moral of the story is just don't, don't wait. Don't wait to be perfect because if you wait to be perfect, you're going to wake up, you're going to be 50 years old and you're going to have a bad case of the, you know, what ifs. And that is the worst feeling in the world is to get to a point in your life where you thought you would have accomplished a particular goal and you didn't, not because you failed at it, but because you didn't even try, you know, because, you know, time is the one thing that you can never, ever get back. So how are you maximizing that time? What are you doing in 2019? How are you planning your days, your hours, your weeks, your years to accomplish tangible goals? Um, and, and that's what's important. So just get out there and, and find people who you connect with. And I promise you, it will be the most rewarding feeling in the world. Because for me, it absolutely is. Mm. And I'm, I'm, thank you. Um, I'm glad you liked the post. I mean, I'm glad you liked this, this new segment. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's resonating because I do, I do think that sometimes we, you know, especially for folks who are in these spaces where they pour into other people, sometimes it can get crippling when you think that, like, I need to be at a certain level to then be able to do the work to help people. Where, you know, like you said, it's it's about your experience and everyone brings something different to the table to be able to um, share that it's different from the next person. And that is where the beauty and the difference comes in, you know, at that point. So thank you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even when we watch, we see get on social media and, you know, now we're in the age of influencers. 
that you know influencers are the new day celebrities and people project these lifestyles and these images that sometimes are not realistic sometimes they're they're not even real for that person and they're just projecting an image they're selling a fantasy and people are buying it and they're using it as a um, you know a point of reference for their own lives and that's where you're going wrong you can't do that because um you know it, a lot of just isn't real. I have met I've met a lot of people who are movers and shakers who are doing amazing work in their respective fields. But I've met a lot of people who look like, you know, like making all these big major moves on social media, and then meet them, and they're not they're not doing anything. Like they're they're nowhere near and you know at the level that they project on social media in real life. So you just never know what's behind the screen. So don't take everything you see on social media um, as reality. Take it sometimes just at face value and get what you need from it and move on. And I think that's a good transition into, you know, you brought up influencers. And when we think about that, you know, for me, I think about leadership and what that means. Um, how do you define leadership, um, you know, based off of the work that you do and, and kind of your perspective? Yeah, of course. Um, I think leadership manifests its way in, in, in several different aspects. Um, I think first, you know, being a leader, I feel like you have to be open-minded. I feel like being open to change and being, um, you know, uh, being able to adapt and, and be able to pivot um, in terms of the direction your business or specific project is going, um, knowing how to attract the right company and the right um, influences and people around you. Um, there is power in affiliation and, you know, just the people that you welcome into your life. Um, and if you, you know, some of the most effective leaders in the world, they know how to welcome those people who are smarter than them and have different, you know, ideas and ways of thinking so that it can ultimately improve what they're doing, improve them as leaders, um, but all just bring out the best in them. Um, you know, recognizing that as a leader, you need to be able to connect with people from all different walks of life. And I think that that has been the most beneficial part of my own leadership. Um, I have always been able to get into a room with anyone. You know, it, it really doesn't matter who you are. Um, I can find a common thread. And I think that that's so important um, because you just learn so many different things by, you know, um, associating yourself with different people. Um, but also, I think it's important to be able to identify, you know, just to pull out, pull out the best in people. Um, that's kind of what gravitates people to you. Like, what kind of energy do you project when people encounter you? How do you, and this is something that I preach in my course too, you know, how do you make people feel when they meet you? Because nowadays, as a job seeker, you have to be able to network online and offline. And whatever energy you convey now, like I, a lot of my hiring managers, they make hiring decisions, especially at the entry level, based on how much they look a person. You know, what about that person makes you excited or makes you feel like you just want to have them around? So, you know, think about what type of mark do you leave on someone after they've have a, had a conversation with you? Do you make them feel in, inspired? Do you make them feel cynical? You know, do you make them feel like an, just an optimist who can go out there and tackle anything? Like those feelings, that's what people buy into. Um, so I think as a leader, you just need to be able to 
um, constantly learn, constantly develop, have a really be able to develop a really strong tribe and community around you, you know, evoke the best in people. Um, and I think, you know, going back to my mentor who I spoke to you about, um, Errol Cockfield, who's the Senior Vice President of Communications at MSNBC, that's what made him a strong leader to me because uh, I messed up several times in that job. I was not, it took me to be in that role to realize that I am not the most detail-oriented person and to be in communications and PR, that is like one of the one things aside, alongside writing and speaking that you need to know how to do is be detail-oriented. And I was not that, so I used to mess up a lot. And um, I, I thought at one point I might've gotten fired from that job, but he took the time as a senior vice president to teach me what I needed to know and to, to coach me along the way and to really identify the areas that I shined in and gave me or more opportunity to leverage those, um, those uh, opportunities to really shine and show what I can do. And, you know, he still does that now, you know, three years later after I've met him. So that's the type of leader that I want to be to people. Um, I want to be someone people can relate to and one that you can come to and know that after you've had a 10, 15 minute chat with Des, you, you, you're good. Like you have everything that you need to go out there and do what you need to do to get it done. So those are, those I think are the critical items. So with that, how do you define mindfulness? Mm -hmm. Yes. I love this one as well. And this is kind of what draw, uh, drew me to your podcast. Um, mindfulness to me, it, it is protecting my peace. Uh, that is what it is to me. And I know that there are tons of different definitions for it, but um, this goes more so on a personal uh, level. Um, when it comes to my family, sometimes my, my old friends, relationships that I no longer have, um, as I got older, I started to move into a space where my peace is, is like, I, I guard it with, you know, several barbed wires and gates. And it's just, I do not sacrifice my peace for anyone. And that goes into peace of mind, peace in my relations, relationships, my personal life. Um, you know, I'm always, you know, trying to make sure that I'm in a, 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 a healthy mental state. Um, and that, that really is, how could I put this? That really just goes into the people that I allow to be in my circle and I allow to be in my life. Um, and that just goes to in, in, in association. So um, definitely protecting my peace, um, but also just having, I think, empathy and, and compassion is kind of another word or the two words that come into mind or come into play. I think also being mindful of the fact that some of my clients, people I speak to, um, I've had different experiences that I'm not familiar with or that I cannot connect to. Um, and sometimes I need to explore untraditional strategies, way of counseling people in order to get that breakthrough that I, I like to have when I work with people. So those two things are, are how mindfulness manifests itself. I think, you know, mental wellness is something that we could speak a lot more about and, and pour a lot more resources into specifically within the black community. Um, you know, I see all, you know, all the time on Instagram, people are saying, you know, ask your strong friend how they're doing, because I used to be that strong friend. And I, I put on this face, like everything was always okay. Like people always were like, you know, Des is going to be okay. Nobody ever worried about me. But I reached points in my life where I'm, I was just like, man, like, I need y'all to worry about me, because I'm not okay. And I'm not feeling like myself. 
So I think now, you know, just that peace of mind, you can put a dollar sign on that. So no matter what I do, I'm always protecting my peace. So, you know, I, I think it's always a good transitional flow into, but how do you define success? I mean, um, yeah, how do you define success? Mm -hmm. Success is twofold for me. Um, on one end, success is happiness, just in its purest form. Um, me just waking up and being happy about what I'm pouring into the world, what, how I'm conducting my life, and how I'm impacting other people. Um, so, you know, yes, that's, that's priority is happiness. Then two, um, because of the background that I come from, um, I come from a, a long line of, you know, just living paycheck to paycheck and just doing what you got to do to make ends meet. And I grew tired of that very early on in my life. And I just want to break the cycle um, of just being poor, you know, being spiritually, financially, mentally poor and creating a legacy of generational wealth in my family. Um, because as I create wealth, um, that helps me to be able to elevate um, the wealth that I pour in from an emotional aspect into other people. I can, and also from a financial aspect, um, I can invest in endeavors that, you know, help my community, that help my family, that, that elevate my alma mater so that they can continue to build phenomenal black women, black women, like they have built me um, to, you know, so granted money is not my why factor, but it is very important for me to create a better legacy and a better life for my own family when I'm ready to have one. I do not want to go on to another generation where debt and you know just you know things just just things that really put you put a strain on your family and your home life because if you're not if your home life is not rooted and your home life is not um, in a place of peace then everything else is kind of in turmoil. So I, I I really need to be able to pursue that happiness that I feel like every human is entitled to in their lifetime and also be in a financial place where I can take care of my family, just take care of the generations in my family to come. Hmm. And so the, the question I'd like to ask, and I, I, it's great that I think you've touched on this. Um, I know you mentioned that your, your mentor at MSNBC, um, if I'm correct, um, was somebody that had a really big impact on, on your own personal development. You talk a little bit more about, you know, I, I, I'm big on, you know, providing a space to, you know, pay gratitude to folks who have really poured into us as folks who pour into other people. Um, how, what was the impact like and what was, what were some of the major takeaways that you, you um, received um, from, you know, being taken under the wing by, by your mentor? Mm -hmm. Um, so with him, um, he actually was uh, a new to the company as well. So he joined uh, MSNBC about a year before I became the coordinator on that team. And he came into a space where uh, he was one of the only black per, um, executives uh, within that realm, specifically in cable news, um, and even in the larger company as well. Um, so in watching him uh, manage himself, manage the team, and lead us 
uh, in spaces where he was often challenged by other thought leaders. There were other executives who were not of color, who liked to kind of put him in positions to, to set him up to say the wrong thing or put him in positions where they, they might've put him in a compromising position. And just kind of watching him navigate those spaces, again, that goes into not sur surviving in corporate, but thriving in corporate. He was always prepared. He taught me to always be prepared. You know, whether, whether it's something on the small level of going into a meeting and having an agenda or a proposal together, something tangible to really show that I'm serious and really paint the picture that I want to paint, um, from something from, uh, you know, that small of level to being prepared with, you know, questions that might sound like they're questioning, you know, just your ability to lead. And I've seen that happen with him and the way he's navigated those situations in a way that is respectful, in a way that positions him as someone who is worthy of his seat at the table um, and someone who is grounded in his area of expertise. Um, that was just something that I am, admired. Um, and he was not just focused on developing relationships with the other black people in the company or really pulling out the best and you know the other people who look like him you know like me he just knew how to be loved and be respected among multiple groups and um i think that 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 was one of the the most valuable um, characteristics that he had. He was just somebody who could walk through the floor and people would just feel his energy. I had people from the other cable news PR team who would just be like, oh my God, I wish I worked for Errol. Um, because he just really made you feel like you were, you had, you had all the tools that you needed to be successful. And he was there to guide you if you ever got lost along the way. So, you know, by seeing him work in such a high stress, you know, news PR is no joke. And, and, and considering the political climate um, that we're currently in, uh, this is one of the most historical times to work in that space. And, you know, he makes decisions that affects, um, uh, you know, that affects us on a, you know, affects this world, but also affects the, the network on a very large scale. So to be mm -hmm. in that position of power and have that much influence, I think he handles it exceptionally well. But I think the last point with him is that his temperament, like considering he was in such a stressful job, I've never seen him yell. I had never seen him sweat. I had just never seen him start to feel uncomfortable. Even during the times where everyone was yelling and sweating and uncomfortable and nervous because something went wrong or you know some news broke and we just had to go into beast mode because we had to start, you know, pushing out press releases or figuring out a way to, to tackle whatever the issue was, never seen him sweat. And that is something that I'm still working on developing um, because that temperament is also a strong piece of leadership. So um, he just was a total package. And um, I think that even though he's reached high levels of success in his career, he has a lot more phenomenal work to do. So, um, you know, shout outs to Errol. <laughs> And then also, what, what is, was there a res resource that you'd like to share that maybe has been really influential for you? Like maybe a book, podcast, movie, TED Talk, magazine, anything that maybe has just been very influential that maybe you'd like to share with the listeners? Sure. Um, so there's one book that I always preach, and I'm, you might have already heard of it, but it's called The Magic of Thinking Big. And I've read that book, and it completely changed my mindset. Um, and it speaks to the power of, you know, your thoughts, whatever you think, 
it, it can man manifest itself into a physical being. You know, if you tell yourself you, what you cannot do, or you allow other people to tell you what you cannot do, um, if you're if you're not mentally strong enough and mentally grounded um, in your own abilities, you'll start to believe it. You know, um, it, you know, case in point is when I was younger, my mother always told me every single day, you know you can do anything that you put your mind to. And she told, told that to me so often that I started to believe it from a very early age. So that by the time I got to high school and even college, I was so grounded that I was good no matter what anyone told me because my mama said that I can do it. So reading that book, um, will really help you get the mind shift that you need to be able to push through the opposition, push through the rejection, push through the tough times, and, and really start to welcome positivity and, and positive influence in your life. So that's a really great read. Um, but also, I started to get into recently a podcast called The, the Lazy Millennial, um, which I really love. Um, it's a safe space uh, for millennials um, to just talk about um, you know, what's going on in their lives and, you know, uh, obtain resources to grow their businesses, to grow their careers. And I think, um, you know, it's really been helping me to uh, become a better business owner um, and also learn different ways to monetize my brand and expand my sphere of influence. So um, between those two, um, I still have a lot of books on my list that I need to read. Um, so I'm going to get down to that. But I think that if you had time, listen to The Lazy Millennial, but also read um, The Power of Thinking Big. Mm. Both good. Both good. I, I'm I'm pretty familiar with uh, The Lazy Millennial podcast and, and the book. So, yeah, both really good. Really good resources. Um, as we wrap up, I think the last question I have for you um, is that, you know, at the end of the day, what do you envision your legacy being? Or what would you, what type of intention do you set around like what your legacy is and what you want it to be? Mm -hmm. um, I would like to be, um, I would like to be an example of people that, you know, where you came from, where you currently are, whatever is inflicting your life or impacting you in a negative way is not indicative of what's to come. You know, you are in control of your own destiny you have the opportunity to to change, you know, rewrite your story if you feel like it's already be, been pre-written for you. You know, I want to be known as someone who, who just, who really pulled out, just pulled out the best in people, um, and inspired them to be the best versions of themselves. Um, I am always about paying it forward and 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 supporting other people who are along the same journey or different journeys, but. Um, I just want to be a powerful, positive force for people and an example that um, you can do it. You know, you, 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 you can develop the strength, you can develop the aptitude, anything that you need to achieve your goals and your dreams, you can develop that. And I just want to be a constant example that it's possible, um, that anything is possible. Um, so, you know, I am thankful that I've been able to use my voice in several different ways to uplift people um, and to help them get into a place where they can pay it forward and, and start pulling the generations coming, um, coming behind us. So um, as long as I am, you know, pouring into people in a positive way, I think that that, you know, that is just, you know, the most fulfilling um, experience that I could have. So just a legacy of bringing out the best of people. 
Listen, I think that's a perfect, perfect place to do the mic drop. <laughs> Desiree, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank I you. really I appreciate it. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, it was a great conversation, a great way, you know, our, and a great way to start the morning. Um, it definitely got me motivated and, and get the gears going. So thank you for, um, you know, one, always, you know, tell my guests, thank you for being transparent and, you know, talking about your journey. It means a lot. Um, what is the best way for my listeners to get in contact with you? What are your social media handles, website, all that good stuff? Yes. So you can actually um, find me on Instagram. My Instagram page is at Des Booker. So that's D-E-S dot B as in boy, O-O-K-E-R. I'm very active on that platform. You can also find me on LinkedIn um, and learn more about my company, The Color Vision Lab um, at Desiree Dash Booker. Um, but if you are interested in enrolling or, or learning more information about the Career Reset course, uh, I will be hosting my second class beginning on February the 5th, and I am now um, open to uh, new students. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that, you're experiencing some pain points in your career, you think you need that reset, um, then you can visit talk, T-A-L-K, the number two, Des, D-E-S, dot A-S dot me. So that's talk to des dot A-S dot me um, to schedule a free discovery call with me and determine if uh, my program could be a good fit for you. Perfect. All that information will be posted along the podcast. So if you look down in the description, you'll be able to see all this information to connect with Desiree about her website, about the work that she does with Color Vision and the Career uh, Reset course. So please make sure connect if you're in this place again you know we're at the top of the year and a lot of people are using this energy this new year new me energy uh to to you know reset and 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 find a level of alignment in their life and you know i'm speaking out of uh experience and where i'm at now um so you know connect um, so that, you know, it's not as scary. <laughs> so that's right. Thank you. Um, again, I, uh, this was a great conversation. It's, it's, um, always a pleasure to wake up and have a great conversation. And so I want to say thank you for, you know, helping me set the intention in the day, um, to, you know, start thinking in a different way. So yes, this was great. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for this platform and the opportunity. Thank you again for your continued support of the Mindful Rebel podcast. I appreciate the listens. I appreciate you vibing with the podcast. Um, if you would like to check out past episodes, please go to any of your favorite podcasts and platforms. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Anchor FM. If you want to learn more about me and what I do as a creative, an educator, and a scholar, you can go to my website. That's SeanJMoore.com. Again, that's SeanJMoore.com to learn a little bit more about me and what I do. Uh, again, thank you for your continued support. Please, any feedback that you have, any potential guests that you'd like to hear on the podcast, don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know what you think. Uh, all feedback is welcome. Thank you.